0: Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 4.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you live the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me as always is Sandy McKay. What's up Sandy? Yeah hey Rob
0: Uh, lots of stuff up as always we've got some cool stuff coming for everyone on this show and a really awesome interview with Michael Dominguez that's coming your way in just a few minutes. First of all I want to tell everyone to go check out our website breakthroughreipodcast.ca first of all lots of awesome interviews that we've done on there with other experts in the real estate industry and we've got a really I think it's an amazing report that's gonna help a lot of people out there it's called the seven freedom activators you can trigger in your properties right now if you're an investor already or you're just looking to get into real estate there's a lot you can learn in this this totally free report so Go check out the website there. Again, it's breakthroughreipodcast.ca and pick that report up. And also check out the old interviews, uh, not old, but the the other interviews with the uh, industry experts. The
1: past interviews. Past. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also uh, take the time to go over to iTunes and click the subscribe button on Breakthrough REI podcast. And you'll be able to get all the new episodes as they come out, and take the time if you would, please, and write a review for us. Tell us what you think of the show. We'd really appreciate that as well For sure,
0: yeah, and uh, so yeah, hang around here. we got like I said, this awesome interview coming first of all, though, let's quickly chat about uh, what we've been up to. I know we got a cool deal closing in the week or so. it's been a long time coming. Uh, that's I'm pretty fun about that one. Yeah, that's cool. And you've also been doing something on your own that's pretty exciting too, Rob. Tell us about this property you've been working on.
1: Yeah, my wife Jennifer and I just finished our first fix and flip project. It was a three-level backsplit split here in the same area that we live in, just around the corner. And it was basically a full gut renovation. It's taken us about the last six weeks to complete, and we just listed that. So we're super excited to see how that goes. And if, um, well, if you would like to see all of the pictures from that project, I wrote a big blog post on it. It's uh, pretty interesting stuff, some challenges in there. And, uh, you know, along with being the worst winter that we've had in a long time, I had a furnace breakdown through the renovation. That was fun. And, uh, you know... Uh, I was sick through a lot of the <laughs> renovation and uh, we had some contractors that needed to be fired, all kinds of fun stuff. So, you know, go check that out. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a blast, even though, you know, there's always challenges to meet, but that was a lot of fun. And I'm just really excited to see it sell now.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And it's, yeah, like everything, there's ups and downs, but maybe tell everyone what's your kind of projected, Outcome of that place, how, how much money are you going to make on it?
1: I don't want to do too much speculating, but I mean, we've got it so it, it was a purchase price of uh 200,000 and we put about 33,000 into it with carrying and all of that, um, as well as the renovations. So we've got it listed for 309. Pretty good. Pretty good, yeah.
0: yeah. And that's in a couple months, and that was a joint venture deal,
1: right? It was. So we're splitting that. It's not all ours, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> if it was, I'd be probably jumping up and jump down for joy. I'd be uh, a little more willing to bring the price down. But as it is, I mean, hey, we've had a lot of interest in it um, so far. So I'm just really excited. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Flips are not
0: for everyone, but when done right, uh, as your place is an example, you can make a lot of a lot of money.
1: Well, the money's not made yet, so I don't want to I don't want to count it <laughs> in my pocket. But you know, it it was fun. It was definitely a learning experience. I mean, I don't think we're going to lose any money, so you know that's good. <laughs> but getting it at the right price—that's really the main the main thing. I, I think if you're going to start a project like this, I mean, we could have went over budget uh, quite significantly. I think it's still done. Okay. So that's really the key. In my opinion is getting it at the right price.
0: Totally. Do you think that's uh, in your opinion, just from going through this, I guess that's the most important thing, right? In the end, if you make that purchase right, then you can screw up a lot of things and still come out on top.
1: Well, we've done some small renovations on, our own properties that we're holding. Right. And on our own house, all the, uh, and other houses that we've lived in as well. And so I have a, a rough idea on, and my dad was in construction. I grew up with it all my life, but I, I would, <laughs> I'm far from good at it, but you know, I think that it was a good learning experience. It was a good way to learn just because I did have some confidence and I wasn't, I wasn't fearful, you know? I knew that we were going to be okay, even if I, even if I did a really bad job, and I don't think I did. I think I did pretty well, but we'll see. You know, we'll talk about it later, and and hopefully I have some good news to come back with.
0: Awesome, great, and uh, yeah, again, that's uh, going to be a blog post up over on JVForProfits.com, so everyone can go check that out. So let's get to the interview and uh, let's hear what Michael has just said. He, He shared some awesome stuff in this interview, so. I know we're both really excited to get this out here. Uh, he's going to talk to us about how to stay optimistic when you encounter some really big challenges. And he'll discuss a personal story there where he's uh, had a really horrendous property that had all sorts of issues. And uh, he was able to, to bring it up to snuff and really turned it into a great property for himself. And that was
1: I, quite a story.
0: It is. It is it's, it's pretty funny. It's funny and amazing, yeah, that- really.
1: I was blown away.
0: Yeah, it's 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 crazy. So you're going to hear all, all that, all, what all that's about, and we're going to also talk about what's so great about two-unit properties and why you should be buying them up right now. And then we're also going to talk about how to fit couches into convertibles, <laughs> which is uh, another interesting story and uh, something you're going to have to hold on the line here to hear. So Some physics in this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's get to it then.
1: Here's our interview with Michael Dominguez. Enjoy. All right, well thank you for being here with us, Michael.
2: You're welcome. I'm looking forward to the talk. <laughs> How are you tonight? Very good. I'm sitting in sitting in my garage, sitting in my convertible. It's all good.
0: <laughs> yeah, the it's the famous Mustang. Uh it's red, I guess it is. What what
2: color is that? It's a uh, yeah, cherry red convertible cherry red. Mustang. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Tell me your garage is heated, because it's still well, cold out, is it not?
2: Yes, it is, and uh, you know it's it is not heated. I am just uh, I'm doing whatever it takes to stay away from my Jack Russell Terrier's bark. So uh, no, we're good. I, uh, I I I can survive for for 45 minutes.
1: <laughs> we'll try to keep you entertained enough that you don't like start the car and gas yourself out or anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay so uh I got a little a quick bio uh of you here Michael and then uh, if you wanna add on to it uh feel free afterwards um okay so uh so you're an investor and a realtor uh a realtor with Royal Page frank in Durham region, and Michael focuses primarily on finding cash flow investment properties for investors. Uh, He's a member of Rain, which is the Real Estate Investment Network. Uh, He's a Durham Real Estate Investors member. Uh, He's a member of the Northumberland Landlord Association. And uh, he's also just fresh off his win of the uh, award for Realtor of the Year, presented by Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. And uh, also, you were a, a nominee for Investor of the Year there as well. So, you're having quite the year already. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, certainly we're uh, really pumped to have you here on the show.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, that's a great introduction. I appreciate it. Awesome.
1: Well, Michael, what came first for you? Um, were you a realtor or an investor first?
2: I, I became a realtor in, um, in early 2008. Um, at the time, I really didn't have any idea that I wanted to even work with investors. And basically, I, I for about 15 years I'd worked for a pet food company, and I was the franchise sales manager for them for the last seven or eight years. So I'd been dealing with a lot of um, investors of franchises prior to that and uh, and so in 2008 i I uh, started becoming a real estate agent, and uh, I quickly started to gravitate towards working with the with the investors, um, I, I felt I, I sort of melded well with their with their mindset. After helping about four or five people buy an investment property, I said, I said, you know, I, I could be doing this too. And so that's when I when I moved forward and bought my first one. So definitely, I was a realtor first, investor second, in, in, in timing. So then,
1: that first property, what was that one? Did you what intrigued you to purchase that specific property?
2: The first property, I, I was a bit of a, um in hindsight, I was a little bit naive. I thought I was going to be able to walk right in and, and, uh, and improve it, uh, immensely. It was, uh, actually a sixplex in, uh, in Coburg. So wow. I knew the Coburg area from, uh, my time at, uh, the pet food company. So I knew that area and I liked, I liked Coburg. And, uh, however, um what I basically, you know, I, this is, this is before any knowledge of rain. This is before any knowledge of, of, uh, Durham REI and reading all of my books and stuff like that. This was just simply Michael the realtor having helped about four or five investors thinking I was some, some knowledgeable person and, uh, I went in naively and I, I saw the, uh, the price per door and I decided to go for it. But yeah, in hindsight it was a pretty ambitious first one in hindsight. <laughs> a lot of people don't start that way. I went right for the six bucks.
1: No, oh, no, wow. that's awesome. And you you still have that one too, don't you?
2: Yeah, I, I own every property I've ever purchased. I've never sold a property I've owned. By right from the beginning it's always been a, a buy and hold for for life sort of mentality.
1: Yeah, that's great because one thing I always hear from investors is, you know, what's your biggest regret is, you know, I'd wish I'd never sold that one or this one or that one or whatever.
2: Yeah, and I, I could share with you with this particular property and, uh, and maybe a few other people that are listening in can maybe share this story with some of their properties they've bought. But um, um, the Real Estate Investment Network often speaks of that uh, the first 24 months are, you know, for, for a new investor are such a critical time. And maybe that can be extended 36 months. But um, there's a lot of ups and downs. And it feels like the, the downs are pretty pretty steep downs. And uh, there were some times that I, I went through, actually, uh, uh, I'm on my third property manager now. And I had an awful lot of vacancies. I had an awful lot of repairs. Uh, I had budgeted certain amounts of repair work that i thought, um that I thought I would need and I've pretty much tripled those repairs. Um the good news is is that this property is cash flowed enough that I didn't have to dip into my own life savings in order to um in order to maintain it. It's always been using what you know what has been cash flow towards uh towards the repairs and in upgrades, we'll even say. So it's not like I was just repairing things that had to be repaired. I've also been improving it and but then, you know, lo and behold, uh, 30, 36 months later, um, you know, I sort of look up and I realize how much this property is appreciated. I look at how much the value of rent has gone up and I look at now where my monthly cash flow is and uh, and I've had no vacancies for a long time and I think, uh, uh you know, now I'm pretty excited about the property but if you'd have asked me this question in 2011 or even 2012, I might have been thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to hold on to this one. <laughs> so I've held on.
0: So did, did, did you buy it originally because of the cash flow you saw there, or was it like in a good area? You think it's going to appreciate that sort of thing?
2: Um, or, or, I wasn't. Uh, I don't think I was smart enough, honestly, to be that focused on area. Um, like I, I knew Coburg to some degree. But, um, I was enthralled with the idea of having a multiplex, um, and, uh, and I just made it happen. And, uh, I was in a bit of a different situation than, than the two of you guys, for example, and then I'm a little bit older and I've got, I had a fair bit of equity in my personal residence and I was able to use my home equity line of credit for the down payment. Uh, so that afforded me the opportunity to go right for the big boy stuff and, uh, and, uh, and. And yeah, so uh, so that was more, I, I think there was a bit of a power trip saying I owned a sixplex, but, you know, I, and I liked the idea of a cash flow idea. Like right from the beginning, I, I, I valued cash flow even before I, I uh, really, like I, I, it's, it, it blows you away when, you know, I, I've considered myself a pretty knowledgeable guy. I've helped investors. I, um, I've been in business for many, many years. And I got my real estate license, and and I took some extra courses in real estate to make myself even better. Uh, it just goes to show you, until you do the extra research and on your own, um, you're just your typical realtor is just not going to have the base knowledge. And and I, I wasn't there, and so I was able to. Uh, I got lucky a lot of ways. Actually, it was it could have been a much worse purchase than it was.
1: So before we move on, just one last question about this specific property here. So you said you've done some improvements on it, and I was just curious of what kind of improvements you decided to do, and maybe why you chose those things.
2: Well, actually, um, the uh, the first the first bits of improvements I did were were um, more making the property a little safer and uh, and you know more resistant to utilities. So replacing, you know, real exciting stuff, like replacing windows, (laughs) improving plumbing, you know, changing some drywall Mm -hmm. around. And uh, um, so it really wasn't increasing the rent all that much. Um, My latest project was I added uh, washer and dryer, coin laundry, and uh, that is hopefully going to generate me some additional revenue. But more than that, what it's going to do is it's going to hopefully bring in a different class of tenant. We were not able to attract certain tenants simply because they didn't want to have to take their laundry to the laundromat on a regular basis. Now, by me having that, that's going to aid in the ability of asking for more rent. What I'm going to be doing going forward is I'm actually waiting for a vacancy to happen and I've got uh, eight ten thousand ten thousand sitting in a sitting in a pile, ready to be spent. And once a tenant leaves, I'm except, expect, expecting to do a, uh, a more extensive renovation, replacing the old 1960s kitchen, uh, replacing some flooring, uh, really bringing the property up to the 21st century. Where really, it's uh, it's your typical 1960s, 1970s multiplex currently. Okay. Cool.
1: So, you were talking about how right from the beginning, I guess you were um investment focused realtor,
2: is that right, or did you go Pretty into much. that uh, yeah I guess not to say right away is maybe a bit erroneous, but uh certainly within twenty four months of me getting my license, um I just felt that was where I wanted to go. It really wasn't until two thousand and eleven that uh that I said as one of my goals that I wanted to become more knowledgeable in um in in real estate and working with investors and really it was 2012 where i really started to see the benefits of that so it hasn't been that long to be fair uh but you know i i set my goals at the beginning of the year and thankfully uh now i can tell you that that working with investors represents about 75 to 80 percent of my uh of my business
1: well sandy and i both kind of pride ourselves in our ability to you know find off-market deals good ones and uh that being said, we've both used you to help us, uh, purchase properties before. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of cool that, uh, that we've both, uh, you know, we've all worked together and, and I think we've got a bit of a, a different mindset, uh, than, uh, than some, even some other investors and other, some of the realtors for that matter is I'm, I'm perfectly willing to aid you guys in, uh, in doing private deals, you know, because at the end of the day, we're we're all in this for the long run, and uh, building relationships is far more important than than any one commission deal, you know, and such like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really cool because the, just the fact that we've both bought properties or used your services, even though we've like we just have a deal closing in the next month or so. That's you know, we had it thirty thousand dollars or so under market value. <laughs> and uh and we're still able to you know you're able to still find some pretty awesome deals out there for us um you know on the mls and things like that that i think you just you're able to see things that other realtors maybe can't see
1: yeah my best cash flowing property actually
2: there you go yeah, yeah I, i'm actually proud of that one uh that you've got uh rob is is that um you know just going back at the ways um you were you were certainly looking for cash flow and uh you were looking for an opportunity and uh and i'd already shown this one to one or two other people so i pretty much brought you right there as soon as we really got to know each other on a different level i wanted to bring you there because i just knew it was a good match for you and uh and uh yeah to your point it's been been cash flowing well and it was in it was in good shape too which is which is a nice bonus
1: yeah there's definitely been some unforeseen things pop up and a few issues that i still need to take care of i had some pipes freeze over the winter over there I and i just i got to take care of that still but uh, i think i know where the issue is and it looks like an easy fix so that's that's good but you know i mean it's the same as what you were talking about i, I mean it's putting a dent in my cash flow but that's about it like i'm not dipping into my pockets to fix this stuff and that's really really good that's saying something.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly you know you know I'm not going to lie to any potential uh, investor that I'm working with. I, I certainly want to uh, tell them that there, um, there's going to be a lot of cash flow that's going to go away to a repair or an improvement. Um, so to assume that you're going to be following your model that you set up before you bought your property is is sometimes a little bit naive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you got some questions
0: for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was going to ask you uh, Michael what, what is so you got the sixplex? what other kind of properties do you have in your portfolio right now
2: I'm a huge huge fan of legal two unit dwellings and let me describe a typical two unit dwelling it's uh, a property that was built as a single family home typically a bungalow or uh, a bungalow is the most typical one that I, that I love working with and uh, with a separate entrance and it uh, has a, uh, the ability to putting a basement apartment in there. And uh, that's become one of my niches as a realtor. And personally, I just love them. Uh, I have a legal to three, I have three legal to two dwellings in Oshawa. Uh, in addition, um, um, i was able to uh, through a joint venture agreement purchase a nineplex which uh which is actually right adjacent to the Oshawa center and that was uh that was a cool purchase it was a uh, a private deal and uh it was never on the mls and i happened to know some uh some guy who uh who, who made the deal available to me? Who happens to be, you know, on the on the other end of the line right now? And uh, and so, Rob, you were able to provide that uh, that lead, and and I was able to find some joint venture money and two partners, and uh, we were able to put that deal together. So that's a nineplex. And uh, actually, in uh, December of uh, this last year, I purchased my first student rental, and that's uh, up in Aurelia, Ontario. And uh, so that's now fully rented uh, as of May first, actually. Uh, but they've already they've already paid their first and last as of May first for a 12 month lease. The uh, one of the three two unit dwellings I'm actually acquiring in uh, April of this year, so I'm counting it as mine, even though I haven't taken possession yet. So in total, that makes 22 doors. So,
1: wow, well. that's that's great. And the student rental, um, who's like I guess you have a property manager dealing with
2: all that, yeah, I'm building a pretty good team up in really um, it's uh, that's a you know that's a that's a full conversation in itself. If somebody's ever looking at student rental, um, i've um I'm a huge fan of the Durham Market, and I'm sure you've got a couple questions about that. Obviously, that's my main focus as a realtor, but uh, the one exception to the rule really is student rentals I, I really feel Oshawa, the city of Oshawa isn't very on side with, um, especially up in the north end, with dealing with um, landlords of, of student rentals. Uh, the cash flow is simply not there for the amount of work and uh, and risk involved, but uh, that's not the case up in Aurelia. And, uh, so um, I had a couple of clients who were curious about that market, and I had one client that actually bought up there. And uh, the kind of guy I am, I'm a bit of a take action kind of guy, instead of, taking a bunch of courses. Like, I do take the courses too, but instead of just studying it, I said, screw it, let me just buy a property up there and no better way to really learn the market than to actually be with my toe in it. So I bought a pretty inexpensive property and uh, and uh, you know, I'm building my team. I've, I've got a, a really good property manager. I've got a couple of workers that have done some repair work in there. And uh, where that's really gonna be beneficial is for any of my clients who are looking for that market i'm really starting to really grasp it pretty well yeah well, maybe
1: i'll have to talk to you about that because you know i was born in Aurelia, and i have a whole bunch of family up there i've, I've been thinking about that area as well lately yeah. for some it, reason so
2: <laughs> well it, I, I could tell you yeah it's um this is a city or a town or whatever you want to call it a village of 31,000 people it's Prices are fairly stagnant, maybe, you know, actually they're not fairly, they're very stagnant, um, yet in the last few years, well, they've always had, they've always had Georgian College, which is about 1,500, almost 2,000 kids, uh, and now they've added Lakehead University, which everyone knows of Lakehead with their Thunder Bay connection, uh, but Lakehead is uh, growing their campus in, uh, in Orillia, and so they've got almost 2,000 kids already. And uh, within a decade, I, I, the number I hear is by 2023, which isn't that far away. Um, they're hoping to have as many as 7,500 kids. So in in wow. that school. So let's let's even say they overstated. And between the two schools, they're sitting around 7,000 kids. Well, so that's that's about 25% of the population of Aurelia is going to be now students. And uh, to this point, they really haven't been building a lot of purpose-built multis. Um, they're depending on the um, on the community to add second suites, and uh, and they've been very much on side with uh, allowing uh, contractors to build multi units, uh, double, uh, duplex, triplex, that sort of thing. Um, and yet, uh, housing prices are are pretty low. Um, so it's a lot of good things are going on in Aurelia. The only downside to this point is there really hasn't been an appreciated value. But all the uh, fundamentals are there, I believe, for that to uh, that change over time.
0: Cool, and yeah, I love that uh, that idea of that. You, the, what better way to get to know a market than to just go in there yourself, right? And what better way to bring clients there too is, is invest there yourself and learn it and make sure it actually works, and then and then go from there.
2: Uh, that's a really good, really makes a lot yeah. of sense. Boy, it does. Like I'm not an idiot. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm hoping to make some money too. Of course. But you know, worst case scenario, I'm going to lose a few thousand bucks. But the best case scenario is I'm going to be able to uh, take my investors and be a lot more confident about this. Like, like they I, I, I'm thankfully I've never sold a property, an investment property, where somebody has come back to me a year later and said, "What the heck did you make me do? I this is the worst property I ever bought." Um, actually, but. A year, or less than a year ago, six months ago, I went through and talked to each of my investors that I've ever done a deal with, and I'm, I'm proud to say that not one investor to this point has ever um, lost money on their property. They're all, they're all happy with it, and they're all wanting to keep it, and they're all wanting to, uh, in many cases, wanting to add more because they've been, uh, they've been cash flowing and they're building wealth.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that's great
0: totally yeah I know me and Rob would both agree with that too right <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I would i'm um, oh, having i'm having a rough time getting people into that uh place this year are you? <clears throat> yeah they don't seem to be coming out as uh well it's been so cold i think that has something to do with it
2: my property manager hopefully. really and, and, and here we're complaining i'm sorry
1: i said hopefully that has something to do with it i'm gonna cross my fingers that that's what it is and yeah, not, uh, my so. property,
2: yeah, my property manager, Aurelia, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you again, I apologize, but uh, my property manager, Aurelia, has had a lot of issues as well. Now, they've had a lot more snow than we've even had and more cold, but that's been a common complaint for a couple of property managers that I've spoken to is that they're having a hard time getting the students out. Um, but you still have a little bit of time before May 1st, so hopefully yeah. the weather's going to break and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, so is it fair to say that buy and hold, buying and holding two-unit investment properties, is that, is that your favorite strategy or is there other strategies that you use that you like? Or
2: what is your favorite type of deal? Yeah, Well, from an entry-level standpoint, um, there's no... I can't think of a better way to, to get into the market than with a two-unit property. Um, most of the people I'm working with have enough money in their HELOC or available cash to um to put the down payment down. Um as, as I'm sure we all know that listen to this uh, the Canadian market, you need 20% to put down. So um using Oshu as an example, if let's say a property is available for three hundred thousand dollars, and that's a pretty decent guess of where it's going to be, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, but that's let's use that as an approximate that would mean that twenty percent of that is approximately sixty thousand dollars and uh with a mortgage of two forty. Well with today's interest rates that's about a thousand dollars a month and uh the insurance and um, and taxes on that property are gonna be about three three hundred plus one hundred um give or take and so you're into it for fourteen hundred before before property manager and such like that. Uh and assuming you're doing it yourself. So you know you're into it for let's let's even round up and say fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred. Um, and uh, and typically, these legal two unit dwellings are, are renting on the upper level for for $1,150 or so, and the basement's renting around $900 or so. And the reason I'm saying more so, they could rent for a little bit more. So, you know, so this property that's available on the market today, you know, is going to generate about $250 a door in cash flow or $500 for the unit. Now, yeah, there's going to be some repairs and maintenance that's going to probably take away from a little bit of that. But at the end of the day, um, if all hell breaks loose, you lose your job. Um, this property is going to support itself. And, uh, in a worst case scenario, it's going to be paying off, paying down the mortgage. Uh, so your, your balance is going to continue to drop the, uh, based on if we've done a good job of finding the location properly, it's going to appreciate over time and it's generating some cash flow. So it's got a triple whammy and, uh, and they're just, and they're easy. And, uh, the tenants themselves. If you've got a good property, you're going to have a better quality tenant. Um, there is there's certainly a desire for first time investors to look for the cheapest properties possible. There's there's some weaker areas of Oshawa where you can get a duplex for maybe two hundred thousand dollars or two fifty or so. But I tend to steer people away from that area because we're we're dealing with. Uh, ODSP and welfare people and uh, people that probably you don't want to have as your tenants in many cases. Whereas spending three hundred to three hundred twenty thousand on a duplex is going to generate you the cash flow you're looking for, and uh, and you're hopefully going to have a much better time as a landlord.
1: So I like to- I'm right on board with you there, and I know like I uh, duplexes are my favorite, and I'm pretty sure Sandy's right right there with us
0: yeah we yeah duplexes are great from a cash flow standpoint it's like as you said starting out it's a great way to do it because you're not i mean you're not going crazy maybe like you with your sixplex but you're getting into the market with the something that's going to cash flow pretty well compared to a single family residential where you are probably not going
2: to get too much cash flow there no you know the advantage of single family and i haven't really done a lot of single families for investors um but there is some, some validity. If you can at least cash flow neutral on some of these properties, you know, a newer one and you're just having the tenant pay your, your mortgage, then sure you can, um, you know, if you hold on to this thing for 25 years, you've basically, you know, had a tenant pay off this house and it's, let's say, doubled in value in that time. You've, you've done well. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and, uh, and you mentioned starting out. You, you mentioned starting out. There's, I, I have an investor that I'm working with that's, uh, that's now up to 10 two unit properties. And, uh, you know, when you're up to 10 two unit properties, if each one's cash flowing like 500 bucks a, a building and, uh, you know, 10 of them is $5,000, that's, that's going a long ways. So it's making a, it's making a dent in your, in your, in your, seriously, in your income. And it's building a fair bit of wealth too. So you don't have to go to the big, you know, 8, 10, 20 unit properties. If you, uh, you just keep rolling along with those two units, it's, uh, it can work.
1: So now we're going to talk about uh, some pitfalls, and I'm going to ask you, you must have like a, like a worst moment as an investor, uh, something that came up that was a sort of a big, a big deal, and how did you overcome that?
2: I did. Um, it was actually the second property I ever purchased. Um, it was actually my first two-unit property of all things. I bought a legal two-unit dwelling in Oshawa at uh, Park and John area, and I bought it well under market value. It was already tenanted by a, um, a miserable woman and uh, and her kids. And uh, so I like the fact that I was inheriting uh, – yeah, I knew it was a lower-end property. It needed a lot of work, but it was already had the legal certificate, which is awesome, and uh, – and then um uh, and it was already collecting rent, at least so I thought, and um so you know a couple of months goes by, and eventually she's going from being weak in rent to not paying rent at all, and six months goes by, and the basement tenant is now starting to seriously compare or or sorry complain over the fact that mold is coming in all over the place, and yeah. so you know, we're now coming into the spring, and it was really. Mold, black mold was coming in everywhere so I tried to do some quick fixes and uh, this is the biggest mistake I ever made is I was spending thousands of dollars ripping out drywall and uh, and replacing it as best I could cleaning up and, uh, and such like that well anyway sure enough weeks later the black mold starts to return and uh, I was able to bring in my home inspector and uh, he told me that I basically had uh, a river running all the way around my house so my my foundation was completely shot, and so I needed to do a full redig. and so I'd probably spend about eight, ten thousand at that point doing small repairs and uh, so but you know I, I realized then I had to rip out, out everything I've done and uh, and uh, and start over again. and I knew that the dig was gonna cost me ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And that didn't include the cost of uh, of having to rip out all the. Uh, I basically had to go back to stud in my in my lower level, and uh, and so the good news is is that uh, uh, I was able to get rid of that. You know, both tenants eventually, and and uh, I actually had to pay them to leave, even though they weren't paying me rent, um, just to get them to sign off that I that they weren't going to be able to move back in. I basically gave them like a month's rent just to just to leave. And so they all agreed to that. But uh the money was the money was huge. And uh there were some times that I questioned my sanity and saying, What the heck am I doing? Mm-hmm. And uh I think uh the worst two moments. The first one was to realize I had to do a full foundational dig. And the second one is when the upper tenant moved out, the place reeked like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I've seen a lot of interesting property as in a realtor. Especially the kind of properties that I look at as a as an investment realtor, but nothing I'd ever seen looked as bad and smelt as bad as this particular unit, and I had to own the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we tried cleaning. We tried doing everything. We were ripping out floorboards, trying to clean this out. Um, really? was, that, what
1: was it? Was it animals or like how did it get that way?
2: Yeah, the dogs, the dog and cats. We knew the dog and cats had urinated in the floors, so we were trying to scrape and clean as best we could. But even that wasn't making a difference. It wasn't See, investor's until my worst end.
1: enemy, you know, man's best friend, investor's worst enemy.
2: <laughs> exactly. It wasn't until my contractor in the basement. Uh, oh, I was also putting in a new furnace as well, and some of the ducts needed to be moved a little bit uh, to to work. Nothing major, just some some minor alterations. And, uh, and so as my contractor was, was moving the, uh, the ducks around just a little bit, all of a sudden he felt some, uh, liquid hitting his shoulders. It turned out that the kids were, uh, were actually sweeping the feces and <laughs> into the ductwork Instead of having to clean it up, they would just sweep it in there. Wow. And apparently they did this over the course of months and months and months. You've so got... once... So we basically had to now rip out the entire ceiling uh, of the lower unit, which I really hadn't planned on doing in order to replace all the ducts. And uh, and I went with all the duct work as well. So that was a rough moment, let me tell you.
1: Jeez. Yeah, well, when I think time. I'm having a bad day, I'm going to remember that. And, and, and...
2: <laughs> <laughs> In and total, now let, me, let, me, let me turn it into a good story, guys. Let me turn it into a good story. In the total... Now I bought this one at a pretty good price i uh, I paid about a hundred and eighty thousand for this two unit dwelling and uh, um, which was under market value even even at that time and I put about hundred thousand dollars into the dwelling uh, so at the end of the day, I was into it for about two eighty and uh, which really hurts but uh, I could tell you that today um, it's uh not only renting the upper unit I'm getting twelve fifty. I'm plus utilities. I'm getting uh, 950 plus utilities in the basement, and I'm renting the garage out for an additional 250 for 25, 2450 plus utilities. If somebody were to offer me two or 325 for that property right now, I wouldn't take it. It's uh, it's even from all those repairs and all that BS. I've really uh, um, I, I, I've increased value since then, and uh, and now I've got a wonderfully renovated two-unit suite. That is getting premium tenants, well located. Um, so, you know, despite every bit of nightmare I could possibly have, the thing is still cash flowing about seven to eight hundred dollars a month for me.
0: Very, very nice. Wow. Well, I just got a quick question, but well, that's that's an awesome story. Um, I think. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, <laughs> like i think so if someone's listening to this i think they're if then they haven't invested in real estate before maybe they're listening to that and kind of <laughs> being like oh my gosh i don't ever want to <laughs> deal with any of that obviously but how would you say like you overcame that how, how did you know how to deal with that type of thing at the at the time or did you learn how to do that
2: it was a lot more learn on the go um uh, there's a um one of my um business coaches is someone by the name of Brian Buffini, and he uh, he coaches real estate. And um, now, obviously, it wasn't directly towards me, but um, one of the things that helped me get through some of these things is um, I I set my goals every single year, and that's something that I never used to do years ago, but uh, through coaching, I, I do that more. I, I set my objectives and set where I want to be in one year and five years and such like that. And, um, uh, the one thing that he says is that, you know, you're, you're here, you want to be there and, but it's not a straight line. There's a lot of squiggly lines along the way, but eventually, you know, if you keep setting your mind, setting your goal to that particular spot, you're eventually going to get there. And so I tried to write it off as a, as a really squiggly line along the way, but, uh, you know, I, all if, the, if I didn't have the HELOC available to me, I probably would have I probably would have had to have sold the property. I, I was fortunate to have enough equity. Um, I'm sorry, enough uh, enough, oh, enough enough equity in my uh, my personal residence. And then what I was able to do is then refinance my property once it had been renovated and get most of that money back and then put that back into my HELOC. Um, so it was now available cash again. So. so, but yeah, that was it was you know there's no roadmap for. Uh, urine and feces in the uh, in the duck work. I, I've looked at a lot of business books and that has not been there.
1: <laughs> it, it's truly amazing. I won't go into my stories, but I've got some that are not that bad, but you know, I'm coming up on uh, very, very close. And it's just, it's so that is just something that you wouldn't even, you couldn't even think of that for a movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, hide, hide the poop. <laughs> yeah. Uh so when you're talking about goals and all of that like I guess you've sort of answered it with that but the next question is what motivates you where do you get your inspiration and drive from
2: well I um it's a little bit of a sad story uh but it's it 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 really meant a lot to me unfortunately my middle brother uh about 3 4 years ago he uh developed cancer, and he, uh, he passed away, uh, actually, less than a month after being diagnosed, and he died at 41, and, uh, and that, was, that was a real moment in my life, um, and obviously, it's, you know, I'm not trying to turn this into me, but it was a, it was a real aha moment for me. Um, no one I really had been that connected to. Like, our grandparents had passed away and stuff like that. We've all had that, but to have someone who was such an important member of my, my inner circle just, just die on me um, was was really something, and uh, I had set a lot of goals when I was a teenager. I think a lot of us do, and a lot of my goals involved building wealth and such like that. And I really hadn't, in um, and travel and such like that, I really hadn't done as much as I'd uh, I'd wanted to do. So it was really, I think my goals became much larger after after Jim passed away and. And so I started to set again more more grand goals i more objectives and uh and and so now you know fast forward three four years, I think that's one of the reasons why i'm I'm taking chances in my real estate in terms of educated chances i'm not i'm not i don't think i'm i'm putting myself on too much of a limb when i'm buying these properties they're they're uh, they're well leveraged um they're in good areas they're i think they're smart purchases. But nonetheless, if someone who doesn't own any properties are probably sort of shaking their head and say, What the heck is he doing? You know, I've now got over a million dollars in uh in mortgage debt, you know, how do I sleep at night? But uh but if that million dollars in, in mortgages generates me uh you know, three million dollars in wealth, then that's I'm okay with that. So I think that's uh that's been a big a big turning point in terms of that. And I also have a, a son who's, who's now 17, and uh, I'm in a situation now where I'd like to build uh, what they call generational wealth, where not only am I trying to get myself in a position where I have complete, total freedom, as uh, Robert Kiyosaki would would tell you, is the, the ability of not having to do your job. You might still decide to do something because you enjoy it, but not because you have to, and I'd love to be in that position, and I'm getting closer to that position. But also have something so that my son is in a as good a position as he possibly can be and set him up. But I think the driving force was uh, was really about four years ago when uh, when Jim passed away. Mm-hmm. Wow!
1: I don't even <clears throat> know how to follow up on that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's great! I think I think um, it's. Things like that, uh, you know, you hear a lot of big successful people, whether it be with money or or in other means, but they all have not necessarily s- deaths or things like that, but there's always something that clicks, you know. There's a point where it just clicks and you say, you know, i got to make this happen. So I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people can relate to or at least can see how that uh, makes a lot of sense, right? Well, it's it
2: forced me to... Well it hasn't forced me I forced myself and 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 i've been I've been really trying to take action and uh and unlike probably ninety seven percent of the human population I've been writing goals on an annual basis and uh, my goal is or, you know my my goals are you know one year and five year goals and i'm I'm striving to hit them and uh i uh I've set you know i have a anybody who knows me can look at my uh, blackberry and look at my bucket list of things that I want to accomplish during my lifetime. And I add ones and twos from time to time. But uh, but my goal is to knock these things off. And, uh, and so sometimes I can tell you that when I'm in a situation uh, that I'm not feeling comfortable with, you know, I sometimes look and I say, is this something that's going to get me closer to my goal or not? And if the answer is it is, then I suck it up and do it. But if the answer is not, then I do my best to try to delegate my way out of there and get out of it. And, uh, so I've become more goal driven, which again, sometimes I think infuriates my wife a little bit, but, uh, (laughs) nonetheless, it's something that I, uh, that I really strive to do.
1: Well, it's really hard to do that sometimes. And it's good to take a step back and look at things and see what you can, what you can delegate or just drop. I mean, some it's, it is surprising when you look at all of the things that you think you have to do. And if you were to just not do half of them you'd probably get by just fine just the way that you well without all the stress though and it's funny because you wouldn't think that was the case but it really is i've done that lately a lot uh just just let some things go that i always thought i had to do and lo and behold here i am still
2: absolutely it's uh Um, it really is shocking how you can you can just focus on what you do well what can generate you the most wealth, what you enjoy and uh, and and then and then try to get people to do the other stuff. Even if you have to pay to have it done. There's nothing wrong with that. If you know, if, if I have to pay you fifteen dollars or twenty dollars an hour to do a job for me that allows me to assist another client to sell a house and uh, and I generate um uh, you know five thousand or eight thousand dollars on the commission then, you know, I I think in the long run I'm ahead.
1: Michael, you have a system for helping new investors buy their first, uh, flow investing property. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. I, uh, the first thing that I always like to do is I really want to get to know the person. And, uh, so I, I insist that before we start going randomly and start looking at houses and, uh, and you know, pretty much what every other realtor in the world does is, you know, somebody calls and, and you start showing them places. That's just that's what a realtor does. Uh that's not what I do. And what I wanna do is we'll usually be over lunch on one of my three or four favorite restaurants. And uh that's why I'm probably overweight, but uh actually, there's a lot of reasons why I'm overweight, but that's another story. Um and uh and so we uh I really want to get to know the person that I'm uh, that I'm potentially going to be working with and see if we make a match. And there have been times that we've had lunch and we've agreed to it, it's probably not the best fit and that's cool. I'd rather do that than um than than waste, you know, dozens or even hundreds of hours on someone who I'm never going to do a deal with. Also, if the person can't spend the time and meet with me and they say no I don't want to do it your way, I want to look at houses that again is a way of telling me that this is probably something that someone I don't want to work with. So the first thing I do is I want to meet with them and uh, you know, I get to find out what their goals are, what their skill set is. Um, like even using the two of you guys, for example, um, I know that you have different, uh, different skills and different contracting, you know, uh, abilities of doing jobs around the place. And, uh, um, and so as I find out more and more of what you're, what you're, who you are and what your skill set is and what your connections are then I do my best to to uh, narrow the search to something that, that fits your style and uh, and then part two as far as the introduction is I'll sort of give a little bit of history of me and uh, and you know where I'm at and where I'm where I'm going in my life I'm very open with that and uh, and then I'll usually take them on a tour of, of the area that we're focusing on. And so, if let's say, for example, we're talking about two-unit dwellings, I'll, I'll show them, you know, some of the properties that I own. In addition, I'll show them some of the ones that I've, I've helped other clients of mine sell and or purchase. And uh, and we're looking at, uh, you know, 15, 25 different properties, you know, as we're driving around, give or take. We maybe don't see them all. We might even pop into one or two just to give them a taste of what a two-unit dwelling really looks like from the inside. With no intention of, of buying that day, that's not the focus at all. But it's really more of an education because I really feel that for a young investor to really teach them what um, um, what they're getting into is far more important than selling them a house right after that. I also encourage them to um, to do some research on rain, to attend a Durham REI group meeting. Uh, which is our local uh, Durham real estate investment group, run by Quinton, who does a wonderful job. Um, I try to get them to educate themselves as best as they can and, and read a few books on the matter. And you know, sometimes it might take a few weeks, sometimes it may take a few months, but when they're ready to buy, I want them to be able to take action. And a lot of times, when they first contact me, they're not at that point. So that's that's sort of my strategy and, and I find that it works for me. It's it's much more efficient at the end of the day. It uh when they are ready, they're not, not often ready just to buy one property, but they're ready to buy two or three. Even they're only ready for like one for the next couple of years, that's cool too. Because it's someone that uh someone that I think is gonna you know, be educated by the time they're ready to make their first purchase and, and that's the kind of client I wanna work with.
1: Well you know, the funny thing too is that um I thought I knew what I was looking for when 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 you and I first met, and i I had an idea of what we were looking for, what we were going after. And I think that i I do believe that after we talked and uh, and you kind of showed me some of the properties along the lines of what I was looking for. And then you said, but you know what? I'd really like to show you this over here because I think it's more along the lines of what you might be looking for, even though you don't think that right now. And and that may sound – I just think that was a really, really good strategy. And you learned who I was, I thought, and then you went out and you sort of provided me with things that I that I wasn't necessarily looking for in the first place.
2: Yeah. Uh, it turned out, uh, yeah. It turned out really, really well, that one. And actually with Sandy and Kate, I, it was a similar circumstance, wasn't it, Sandy?
0: Exactly. I was going to say, it's, it's like I, I could say the, literally the exact same thing Rob just said. And uh, and we, the other cool thing is like we we had some fun too, right? <laughs> going out there. And uh, I know, Rob, I was going to – I don't even think you've heard this story yet, but I was wanted to share the uh, car story here quickly. Um, the, or not the car, the couch story. The couch story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. And like I was saying, it's, 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 it's just a lot of fun looking for houses sometimes. And, uh, to go back to when we were looking at with you that one day, um, we were driving through, I guess it wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily a great area, but it was, it was one of the areas that we were maybe looking at and you were kind of maybe hinting that this might not be the area for you, but we ended up finding, uh, uh, well, I don't know if we noticed it. Kate noticed it, uh, Couch that someone had basically thrown on the end of their driveway for the garbage guy or whoever to pick up, and it was like it was not a very pretty sight. That when we picked it up, it must have you had some. We picked it up, we pick. okay. So, picture us in uh, in um, Michael's uh, Mustang, right, <laughs> in his convertible, okay. And we have this disgusting, I think it was cat pee on the couch. Yep. And, um, but you know, I I think you're missing a part here of why you picked it up. Well, this is, this is a full size couch, by the way, full size. Yeah. It was, it, it was, yeah, it was a, you know, two or three seater and it was like, it was disgusting, but we picked it up because Kate for who knows why, who knows what saw it and said, and this is one of the things I like about her and she does this in real estate too. She saw it. <laughs> and um and, and, and said, you know, there's I can make that into something, you know? I can she looked at it, it was terrible ugly looking, but she said, you know, I, I can I I'm picturing that in my room or in this in our living room or something, once it's all fixed up. And um and we, we yeah, we picked it up, we put it in the back of his convertible. I was literally sitting on the on the ground, like cr- crunched up in like a just it just smelled terrible and we were driving around Oshawa with, it, <laughs> with this cat pee-covered couch hanging out hanging out the window or hanging through no, the roof, the, basically. the
2: top was down, yeah, just yeah, hanging right, right out. out.
1: Sticking out both sides like airplane airplane wings.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's something that, honestly, you guys took a picture of that when we were in there. I really think that that's something that should be added to your website.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to put that picture in the show notes. Oh, totally. Yeah, I
0: I definitely have it around still. It it was, it was too funny. And then we actually tried to fix it up and uh, realized that it was going to cost a bit too much to do what, what Kate had envisioned. But we ended up um, uh, basically just tidying it up a little bit, vacuuming it and stuff. I think we threw it on Kijiji or something just to get rid of it. And we sold it for like, I don't remember now, 200 bucks, maybe.
2: Yeah, it was, really? it, she remember she was telling me it was like a couple hundred bucks she got got for it. Yeah? yeah,
0: so it was like it wasn't exactly what we were looking for, but it was it was a funny story. It was it was really funny, and wait, we made a couple hundred bucks, so whatever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the kind uh, of fun
1: things that, that happen. That's right? the kind of adventures you get when you go out with Michael. Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it's a Mustang convertible slash moving truck is what it really is. So <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Back to some important stuff, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: what is, is? Do you have an investment that stands out for you? Like, what's your favorite investment that you've made personally, or that you've helped someone you're gonna, purchase? I guess. Yeah,
2: too? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of a, a loop on this answer. I think um, you're, you 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 ask the question as if it was a um, uh, as if I'm gonna answer uh, an investment property, and and really that's my best single investment that's generated more single wealth that anything else I've ever done has been going to increase my knowledge in terms of investment properties. Just spending money on education has, has proved so worthwhile. I, um, this is going back five, six years now ago. I really didn't read a heck of a lot, you know, in terms of, you know, I just never really read a lot of fiction. You know, the thought of reading a Danielle Steele book or something lame like that just wasn't really my thing. And,
1: uh, no, don't knock but, it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. But, um, I, um, I made a conscious decision when, uh, uh, about four or five years ago. And one of the first books I read was, uh, someone by the name of Jim Rohn and he's a business philosopher one of the top of the 20th century and one of the things that he uh, that he really pushed was to read as much as you could in terms of things that would would make you grow as a person and uh, and so some of the lines he would say is um, uh, don't wish for more money wish for more skills and uh, and so and one of the things that he advocated was to actually make a journal. And, uh, and so when you read a book that, that means something, you know, highlight it, make notes, really read the book properly. And then after that, you actually make notes and, you know, you journal this particular thing. And then after you've journaled it, then you, then you, um, you know, you teach others and, and then you really feel like you've, you've accomplished and read this book. And, uh, so I really make it a point to, to read a lot more and it's, it's really almost unfair. Like you, you you're talking about guys like, like um well Jim Rohn or or um uh, let me think now uh, uh Donna R. Campbell, uh, Julie Broad, her her latest book, and uh you know, The Wealthy Barber is another one, uh uh Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And you know, you're getting all of these books for like thirty, maybe forty bucks and I usually equate when I've read a good book, it would generate me you know ten to twenty thousand dollars in in personal wealth and sometimes more, just because of the information that they provide in those books. You combine that with um, attending the Durham Real Estate Investment Group or any other local investment group from wherever you're hearing this from. Um, it also includes going to I've been to the um, Rich Dad education, and some of that is very expensive, but I've done some cheaper stuff, which is not too expensive. I've, I'm a rain member. I'm spending 200 a month, month there. But the amount of education and information they're providing me has given me thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in wealth. And what's really cool is that if for something were to ever happen and all of a sudden I lost all of my wealth, the one thing that they can't take away from me is my education. And, uh, and it's really a neat feeling to know that if I had to, if I really, really had to, and I lost all my money for some reason, I could go out and uh, and build it all over again because of what I've learned. Uh, they just can't take that stuff away from me, and and I think within within uh, five to ten years, even if I was bankrupt tomorrow, I'd uh, I'd get back to at least where I was and and get into the millionaire range again, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. very cool. Yeah, that's that's that's. I like how you flipped it there. That's a great uh, great answer. Thanks. <laughs> um, and okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Durham Region. What is it
2: that you love about Durham? Durham offers the best of a lot of worlds. And first, I should mention that Rain lists their top ten cities that they uh, recommend in Ontario. And quite often, with d and us, are not 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 on that list. And uh, and that's okay. I I don't necessarily. Need to have some validation from an organization, a national organization, to tell me it's it's one of the best cities to invest in. Um, I've done my own due diligence. I've done my own research in in you know really studied the market quite well, and um, I could tell you that it's it's been growing on a regular basis. I, uh, as a realtor, I could tell you I've done research in terms of those infamous 1950s 60s 70s neighborhoods and been seeing increase in value of five to six percent annually for all of this century on average uh which is which is pretty impressive we've got uh the lowest prices of homes anywhere in the gta if you draw a circle or a or a, a rainbow over toronto and you look at like mississauga oakville to the west you look at Vaughan and uh and uh, Woodbridge to the north and Richmond Hill, or you look at Durham to the east, you're simply getting the cheapest prices by far in Durham. So I really don't foresee there to be a, a tremendous decrease in values, even if we do have a market correction in the short-term future. In addition, as I said, we are growing. Uh, the Durham region has a population of over a half million people, which is uh, continuing to grow on an annual basis. We've got uh, an improvement in transit. So things like the GO station has been getting better and better. So it's going to be that much easier for a person to commute from Oshawa, would be Clarington, into, into downtown Oshawa, or sorry, downtown Toronto. In addition, in 2015, the 407 is going to make its way to Harmony Road, which is uh, the far end of Oshawa. And so it'll be from North Oshawa, North Whitby, Brooklyn. You'll be able to get from those markets to Yonge Street in 25 minutes. What do you think that's going to do with pricing? I, I feel it's going to at worst maintain and likely increase it because it's just going to be so, so close to Toronto. So I feel really, I'm really pumped about that market. I, I think it's, it's a good one. And to make matters best, the, uh, the municipal governments are, are favourable with regards to legal two-unit suites. They've been encouraging it where certain markets like Mississauga have been fighting it. Uh, you can still get into a property affordably and make cash flow in year one, where in Toronto and Mississauga and Brampton, that's pretty tough to do, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about the market. You get the best of the Toronto world, you get the best of the Toronto uh, amenities. Um, you're, you're that close from a commuting standpoint, yet you've got, uh, you've got small, smaller town prices.
0: Totally. Yep. And, uh, I definitely agree with pretty much all of that. It's, it's crazy that it's really the last place that close to the GTA, to Toronto that has prices like that. And it's, it really is still a great place to, to have a house and to live if you have to live there or whatever, right? It's a, it's a great, great spot.
2: I, I really do and uh, and if somebody really doesn't know Oshawa what my advice is to do is um, you know first of all I always recommend to go to the Durham Real Estate Investment Group and uh, and learn even if you have no interest in investing in Durham uh, we have people in our group and I say we because I'm a member not because I have any affiliation but people from as far away as Barry and Oakville and uh, Peterborough and Coburg are going to, to get that kind of education but if you are going to go um, look me up and, uh, and I'll happily take you on a tour and show you certain parts of the community that you might not even know exists. Uh, there's an area of North Oshawa, which has been dubbed Poshua because it's basically, it's, you know, it's like Unionville or, or, well, Brooklyn, if anybody knows that up in in North Oshawa, it's, it's, you know, if I were to have blindfold you and sort of, you know, then taken the blindfold off, you wouldn't know that you were in, in Oshawa when you, when you, uh, the blindfold taken off? It's it's a pretty nice, nice community. That doesn't mean we're, that's where we're investing as, as investors, but it's certainly nice to know that that the uh, the mindset of the uh, of the Oshawa resident has certainly changed.
1: So, do you think the opposite is true in certain places in Oshawa where they drop you in and like in the South End, and someone would just like kind of uh, with the take the blindfold off and sort of sniff the air and go, yeah, yeah, South Oshawa,
2: <laughs> or... <laughs> and a savvy investor or a savvy realtor would direct the person away from that weaker area, but in saying that, Rob, I'm going to tell you there are pockets of areas south of the 401, the infamous South Oshawa, cue the scary music, um, where it's actually pretty good places to invest. Um, we can we can you know we can talk all day on that, but I'll use as an example from Philip Murray down to Lake Ontario. If you look at every other market across Ontario practically, waterfront properties or things just a block or two away from the river or lake tend to be higher in price. That's just that's a natural thing. Except in Oshawa. South Oshawa right near the lake is is pretty pretty inexpensive. Yet there are these beautiful nineteen sixties, fifties bungalows that are just crying to be turned into legal two unit suites. That are going to cash flow really well. They're in nice little residential streets with, you know, just a a street full of the same bungalow that was built by the same builder back in you know 1958 or whatever, and uh, and they're going to be able to make some uh, serious serious money on South Oshawa, and, and yet they're still getting these properties for more in the in the 240 to 270 range, which is which is Pretty affordable for the Durham or for the well not only Durham but all of all of GTA.
1: Yeah, I have a duplex south of the four oh one too and, and I like it. It's it's great. I I haven't had much trouble with it at all. And it does well for me.
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> um, I'm just gonna jump in here actually because I looked up that quote and I remember I wrote it down when I first heard it, that quote that you were saying. And I just wanted to say it because the next question is um, about your favorite quote or piece of advice. And I really like that one. And uh, I remember writing it down. So I just want to say it here, that one by Jim Rohn, where it says, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills and don't wish for less challenges, wish for more wisdom. And I remember hearing that for the first time I wrote it down and it's always uh, stuck with me. It's, it It makes a lot of sense.
2: It's you know again I, I obviously I paraphrase it a little bit when I spoke but yeah absolutely it's uh, that's one of his best uh, I, I can give you a couple more that that I that I kind of use um, one for example as I mentioned before Brian Buffini um, one thing that he likes to try to encourage one to do is to win the day and he defines winning the day let's say for example out of an eight hour day if you put in five good hours and you set a a list of goals at the beginning of the day and you've accomplished those goals, you've won the day. And if you can win three days out of five, if let's say you're working a five day work week, you've won the week. If you can win three weeks out of four, you've won the month. If you can win seven months out of a year, you can win the year. So, focus on winning the day and and just keep going and before you know it it's remarkable what you can do in a year so you know I, I try to I, I sometimes set my goals small and just simply winning the day is is, is quite a is quite a feat because uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you've you've conquered cancer you've changed the world but if you've accomplished the goals that you've set out at the beginning of the day and those goals are, Goals towards winning a month or winning a year, then uh, then you've then you've done a lot. So that's one thing that I, I certainly try to do. And another another one that I'll mention as well is um, is Zig Ziglar and uh, and Zig he he has um, the expression if you uh, um, if you help enough people get what they want you'll get everything that you want. And uh, as a realtor, I I like to take that mindset um as much as I can and and so I have no problem in in just helping as many people as I can. And I think at the end of the day it's gonna certainly improve my myself in the long run. So
1: I'm sure everyone's heard of, months, of uh perfect. Zig Zegler, but the other who was the other person you were mentioning there?
2: Brian Buffini. Um in the real estate world he's well known. When I say real estate I'm sorry. in the realtor world he's well known. Um, but he's uh, he's really focused more with realtors, and uh, and uh, he has he has some really good basic sound advice, which are uh, not really you know way out there kind of stuff. It's it's old school building relationships with calls, notes, pop buys, meeting your clients. Uh, you're 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 far better off spending time. With people you like and networking with the people that you know than it is to spend thousands of dollars doing uh spending an ad in a in a newspaper or something like that it's his his philosophy is to make your business larger you should make your focus smaller and to focus on your database of uh, you know whether that number is thirty people or hundred people instead of focusing on you know the entire town of Whitby if you're a realtor. Just focus on the hundred people that you that, that like you and know you, or even that's twenty people. It doesn't matter, uh, and that's that's certainly how I operate my business as a realtor. I'd rather build a relationship and uh, and enjoy who I'm working with than try to advertise to the masses. So I've really um, pinpointed my my uh, strategy as a realtor.
1: Yeah, and that's good advice. And hopefully, people will look him up. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Michael, really appreciate you being
2: here. You're welcome. It's been fun. I, uh, I hope I, I hope I said a few things that uh, will resonate with, uh, with the two of you guys. And if anybody else ever listens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. No, there's tons of tons of value in that. I think um, for, you know, for a lot of people, for investors, for realtors, for newbie investors, for experienced (laughs) investors, there's a bit of everything there. I think there's a lot of great, great little, uh, great little things that, uh, to learn
1: Good. a lot of takeaways for sure. Mm-hmm. How can people, uh, contact you or learn more about you?
2: Sure. I, I, I suppose there's a couple ways. Uh, they can look me up on my, on my website, which is www.durhamhome.ca. And, um, and I, I really encourage you to, to take a look at my website. I've been spending a little bit of time on it, to be fair. It's not really my strength is, um, doing the online presence thing. As I told you, I'd rather spend, um, 500 bucks, uh, taking a group of people out to, uh, see the play, the evil dead, the musical and, uh, having a grand old time, than uh, then, uh, spending $500 on a website, but I decided to do it. And, uh, and what I've also done, or actually more than that, to be honest. And what I've done is I've, I've built a, an investor's quarter where I've included, uh, different articles and different, uh, I guess blog would be the best way to describe it, but more my uh, my attempt at sort of you know explaining where where my philosophies are. And so by all means, if you're bored one afternoon and you really got nothing else to do, you know peruse through some of my articles and maybe they'll be of benefit, or nothing else, they'll tell you a little bit about who I am. And uh, if you certainly want to uh, reach me, you can also oh the other thing you can do as well is follow me uh, on Twitter at at Durham home, and uh, and then of course come to the Durham REI meetings and check them out. Durham C, I dot believe is what they are, and then uh, we can meet face to face, or like I said, give me an email and uh, through through my website, and we'll we'll go from there.
1: Great, awesome. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate you coming on again. Have a good night. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you very Loves much, it,
0: Michael. All right, thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye.
2: say my thing first i guess all right
0: like breakthrough real you
1: know oh right go ahead yeah so we're on this is number four yeah. breakthrough real estate investing podcast episode four hey michael how are you
2: tonight are, are we actually starting
1: uh well, i think it's been recording ever since we got on
2: oh <laughs> you <laughs> I, I didn't even know this okay hold on
1: all right has, start it, me again has-